Welcome to the Gatecast and our journey to the Pegasus Galaxy and the City of the Ancients, Atlantis. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Stargate Atlantis Season 3 Wrap-Up Show. And we do these things so infrequently, I haven't really developed a standard intro, so I'll just bother for a little bit longer so the other two have time to gather themselves and realise they're supposed to talk. That should be enough. Guys? Hello, everybody. Yes, we've made it to another wrap-up show. This week, we have a regular guest joining us again. How are you doing, Brad? Hello, guys. Good, good. And um, just to prove how much I want to be here, I even get up 24 hours before time. Yeah. What? <laughs> I was here waiting at four o'clock yesterday morning before realising it said Saturday and then realising it was your Saturday, not my Saturday. Yes. Pretty much always go on uh, my time, then you, everybody yeah. else has got to work around it. Well, in fairness, we had originally planned to record yesterday, but given a choice between chatting to you and doing sauna, I'm going with option two. <laughs> <laughs> I should be sorted, but I'm not. No. <laughs> My friend Heather got an email saying, do you wish to renew your contract with Tenero? And she's like, yes, yes. Oh, we'll send you something, but I don't want you to. You know what they sent her? An iPad. Okay. <laughs> FOC, which she doesn't really want. And I'm looking at it and thinking, be nice, Alan. Don't ask her to give it to you. <laughs> Just put the little puppy dog expression on. Uh, no, she's not really a dog person. Neither am I. I can put the kitten expression on. That'll work as well. He says, I've been watched way too many cat and dog videos on YouTube recently. You know, the puss and boots expression. Yeah. <laughs> Did something to me, foot. it's been throbbing more or less continuously. When you've had your foot hurting non-stop for 24 hours, it tends to grate on the nerve. Drive you a little bit wonker. It's a wonderfully Australian word. Also, wasn't it the name of a character in So Long and Thanks for All the Fish? Or Life, the Universe and Everything? Wonko the Sane. Wonko the Sane. Was that Life, the Universe and Everything, or So Long and Thanks for All the Fish? I hadn't read it for a long time. Also, this was the season five weekend, Babylon 5. I got the bus purely because I am literally not capable of walking that far. So if I appear grumpy tonight or I appear short on the recordings, it's because I've been in pain for the last 27 hours and counting. Right. 27 hours, 13 minutes and 48 seconds. Okay. Right. Has anybody seen DC's Legends of Tomorrow trailer? No. No. You have got to watch it. If you like the Arrow, if you like the Flash, you will love this. In fact, I'll send you the YouTube link. I'll look at it on the PS3 after. Absolutely brilliant. And it's got Rory from Doctor Who in it. Oh, is he attempting a non-British accent? No, he even says, I'm from London. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shall we kick it? Yep. Right. Come try ya! Okay, season opener. No Man's Land. Yep, first aired July the 14th, 2006, written by Martin Garrow and directed by Martin Wood. So a Martin episode. This was the second of a three-parter that spanned season two and season three. Yeah, damn yes. cliffhangers. Yeah, they've got themselves an ancient warship, the Orion. So that's not going to last long, is it? No. It doesn't say the end of the episode yet. <laughs> yeah, you thought it'd last a little bit longer. Uh... Yeah, in fairness, at least with Battlestar Galactica, they had the second ship for the guts of a season. Yeah, yeah. Plus a mini movie to go along with it. Ah, oh, yes. The plan? Razor. I think Razor's on my Blu-ray box out. I don't think the plan is. Oh, I still haven't watched that yet. 
Anyway. <laughs> Digression, <laughs> thy uh, name is Skatecast. Yeah. Already, we're on to Battlestar. <laughs> right then, John kind of stuck himself to the hive ship when he jumped into hyperspace at the end of season two, so he's discovered oh, that, by I, Michael. Although he's known as the Boba Fett manoeuvre. <laughs> he somehow manages to get the hives fighting each other, which was a pretty good trick. Divide and Even conquer. Surely they'd see it, though. Human ship that's still in the shooting and not a dart. I think it helps that the Wraith are so... Well, they don't really like each other. It literally is. Each hive is a separate entity. Mm. So it's very rare for them to join in and fight together, unless it's something, as we saw, the war against the ancients. It's also, it's the fact that, I mean, they're a bit like cats. You know, they'll observe each other's territory, but they don't tend to work together unless it's to take down something bigger than themselves. Combined with the unusual aspect of Usually there's not more than, what, did they say 5 or 10% of the hives awake at any time? Yeah. And with everyone awake, you know, competition's getting fierce, and there's mm. some infighting. Yeah. Oh, thank God the painkillers are kicking in. The Wraith are on their way to Atlantis, uh, not Atlantis, Earth. <laughs> yeah, And um, but it's a long way, so we've got plenty of time. We've got 15 hours to catch up to them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Elizabeth is on Earth trying to convince the IOA that she's good at the job. It's a shame, it's a real shame, and I'm surprised Martin didn't do it. At some point in the episode, Elizabeth turning around frustration and going, we've only got 14 hours to save the Earth. <laughs> yeah, flash Gordon, everybody. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't we... get that reference doesn't deserve <laughs> We get a great space battle when they finally do catch up to him. Yeah, happy Mike. The drones, such a very unusual weapon, because you see him hitting the target, yet they still continue. yeah. It's almost, you know, like they're kind of burrowing through without detonating themselves and just causing damage that way. Yeah. More efficient. It's sort of a drill. Maybe I figure it's relatively limited shield power. It will burrow through until the shield generator runs out and then it explodes. It's like, you know, the bunker busters. They drill through a certain depth of concrete and then they go boom. Yeah, it's not an explosion on impact. More of a fuse. And of course, that sort of weapon, it does make you wonder how the ancients lost the war. Because it is a multi-target weapon. It's not like fixed place for lasers or phasers or something like that. It makes you wonder why they only put one chair in a ship. Yeah, or just built one huge battleship with millions and millions of drones on it. Thousands of EPMs powering the shield. Single point of failure. Well, to be fair to the ancients, they did build technology pretty well. They just tended to use it for some strange reasons. Yeah, until we come along and use it better. <laughs> ancients, what did they know? Hey, Rodney? Yeah. <laughs> Major Lawn gets command of his own ship for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. As the Orion <laughs> Yeah, I'm in command of a ship. Oh, crap. Yeah, I'm not saying that's why we didn't see him again for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's 11 more. Right then, No Man's Land uh, won a Gemini Award for Best Visual Effect and unfortunately did not get any votes in our Season 3 poll. Well, 8.8 on Gateworld. So that must be a... Uh, you can assume, Mike, for... Voting purposes that I would have gone for Mrs. Miller. You didn't vote. I was busy. All week. <laughs> yes, all week. You can assume I would have gone for Mrs. Miller, because I told you I was going to, so just add one to it. <laughs> what is it? Oh, dear. Did he drop the mark? <laughs> no. That, that's me crunching my Coca-Cola can. <laughs> a fit of rage. That's his best impression of Popeye with the spinach can. Yeah, and now I've got a little bit of Coca-Cola all over my desk. Uh, I thought it was empty. <laughs> <laughs> They're never... It's like a gun. It's never unloaded. 
Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting. Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John S. Drew, on my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series on the Batcave podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host as we review the classic television series. There's a new episode every two weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at thebatcavepodcast.com. Holy memoranda, folks. Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking, Robin. Misbegotten, the Atlantis team need to decide what they're going to do with the wraith that they've converted into humans. I'm showing original air date here, 72106, written by Joseph Malazzi again and directed by Martin Wood. I suppose you wouldn't call him Marilyn Manson, but we get the older long-haired humans. Yes, this was the episode of the very, very bad wigs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is daft. I mean, some of the principal actors, their hair pieces look pretty good. The extras, not so much. Budget. Yeah, probably. Of course, Connor Trenier, again, back for the second episode of the season, in his human form, at least for a while. Mm. Of course, the retrovirus mm, doesn't... Well, let's face it, it never worked that well. And now it's... They think, let's try again. Yeah. Yes, because clearly, I believe Mike said at the time, our good Dr. Carson is adhering to the Hippocratic Oath, or at least his own strange version of it. I think the humans, and certainly Carson sees the Wraith as, not as a, an abomination, but not as an independent species. So he kind of gives him the right to say, I can cure you. Whereas most of the Wraith don't think there's anything wrong with them. And of course, in a later episode this season, we learn a lot more about the Wraith. Mm-hmm. No longer really judge them to be an experiment that went wrong. And funnily enough, Christopher Heidel is in this episode yeah. as well. As a background Wraith. How bizarre. Could be spoilery. I don't think it is, though. He appears in Arrow. Mm. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) They've dumped him on the planet without a Stargate. That's the safety protocol in place to protect them. Yes. What could a bunch of wraith-turned-humans do? Yes, there are communication devices in that canvas tent over there. Mm. Of course, you're not going to touch that, are you? No, there's only five people on guard. Yeah, how many? Do they live about four guards? I believe, if I didn't say it at the time, I should have. It reminds me of the episode where Dr. Bashir and Miles O'Brien are kidnapped by the Jem'Hadar, and Bashir starts walking on a way to cure them of addiction to the white. Oh, yeah. I thought there were shades of that sort of thing in this. A doctor walking from supposedly good motives, completely overlooking the possible military applications and severe, as we found out, heinous consequences. <laughs> They did go for the ultimate failsafe. They had a nuke buried under the camp. Unfortunately, the Wraith found it. Yeah, it's another self-destruct that doesn't go off. We don't get to self-destruct anything, he says. No, it's all lovey-dovey. Oh, I discovered when reading something uh, where that quote comes from. Best to go off and nuke them from orbit. It's from aliens. Hmm. It's the only way. To be sure. My aliens Blu-ray box set is still in shrink wrap. Oh, dear. 
I went looking for me Superman Returns movie the other day. And I know I've got a copy somewhere, and I thought, oh, yeah, of course. That was a HD DVD copy, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> and then I thought, ooh, I've got the Superman anthology, Anta, and there it is, Superman Returns on Blu-ray. <laughs> Way. Of course, I had to buy Superman 3 and 4 as well. <laughs> I have the 14 DVD limited edition metal box set with S on the cover in box. <laughs> it means hope. <laughs> Second episode in, Battlestar and Superman. <laughs> We're on a roll. Bring up in the third one. Misbegotten got one vote. Hmm. I can say with absolute conviction it wasn't me. <laughs> Possibly someone in wardrobe. Probably got all his friends around. I did all, all the wigs for these people. What do you think? I went to our local Walmart and brought 14 white jumpsuits. <laughs> no, they just got them off the uh, you know, slightly used Star Trek lot. None of them are red. Come try ya! Okay, episode three, Irresistible, directed by Martin Wood. Story by Brad Wright and Robert C. Cooper. Teleplay by Carl Binder. Aired July 28, 2006. Oh, yes. <laughs> Lucius Lavin. Yeah. Richard Kind. Love him or hate him. It is that sort of character. Yes, my vote definitely didn't go here. Yeah. I love Richard Kind. I love the roles he plays. Larger than life. Whether or not this was ideal for Stargate echoes Harry Mudd from Star Trek. I thought it echoes more of Urgo. Well, you didn't like Urgo either, did no, you? No, I didn't. <laughs> it drove me bloody demented. I think my dislike started with him back in the Smokey and the Bandit days. Cannonball Run? Could have been Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run, where sure. he wore the cape. Yeah, he started to irritate me at that point when I were a young child. <laughs> and there we have it, Cannonball Run. Three <laughs> for three. <laughs> Another actor who went on to a larger role in Stargate course was julia benson playing lucius's wife willa she went on to uh, stargate universe vanessa james an episode that proudly displayed copious amounts of cleavage <laughs> personally that doesn't really bother me too much but it said a lot about lucius how many wives did he have four and he was looking for taylor to be number five or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> the laugh in the production notes i've got here the original working title or production title for it was delicious fat man <laughs> and the, the, the producers were going to cast a much larger gentleman in the role of Lucius instead of going for Kind, so... Kind wasn't exactly svelte. Mm. Right, not too much to say about Irresistible. I personally didn't mind the episode too much. If you treat it as a bit of lightweight fun, you, you get a laugh or two out of it. But it did not get any votes. It could be sort of taken seriously, because he's got himself a one-handy weapon there. He's using it for the wrong reasons, but... Well, some people would say the right reasons. Yeah, but <laughs> if you've got any ethical or moral aspect of your character, what he's doing is not good. Mm. He should be thankful that when the drug wore off, the women and the men of the village didn't lynch him. Sharp and pitchfork. Yeah, especially guys with daughters or you know mm-hmm. former husbands. I mean, he's not a proper mad scientist because he hasn't got an ego. You know, it's not really good having pitchforks unless you've got an ego. With a go bag to get the hell out of there. Well, that's it. He, he got lucky. He came across this drug pretty much by accident. It's not something he sat down to develop because he was a baker. He was a baker, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. The village baker. Yeah, it's not even a chemist. Come try ya! Okay then, episode four of season three, Satida. First heard August the 4th, 2006. Written and directed by Robert C. Cooper. This is our Ronin episode. Mm-hmm. Action packed. Oh, yes. Many, many explosions, and man, that guy is tough. <laughs> some actors, you, you've got to marvel. Some characters as well, they can be thrown against brick walls, 
dropped off buildings, and they get up with our day's crash. It's a talent. Yeah. At least he didn't say I'll be back at any point. <laughs> okay, Dan Payne makes an appearance on the show in this. Very, very big guy. Does a lot of stunt work. He was playing Ronan's nemesis, the Wraith Commander. Mm, you'd, uh... Nobody kills him. He's mine. Yep. Did you kill him? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I had him in my sights the whole time. Ronan, for all his, you know, his courage, his machismo and everything, mm-hmm. knew he was getting his ass kicked and was thankful to be rescued. It had the highest budget since the two-hour pilot, which is interesting. You could understand that. The amount of setup for the stunt work and everything really ratchets up the cost. Yeah. Just the time taken. Yep. No, you just think with all the CGI in the season one, three-part ending, setting up actual sets and that, a little bit more expensive than first fort. Yeah. The stunt coordinator and all, James Banford, does a lot of screen time for this as well. Also, remember watching some of the uh, extras behind the scenes where they were covering some of the stunt work and one of the stunt guys got seriously injured. Yep. So even the best stuntman with all the planning and everything, accidents can still happen. We get some more backstory with Ron in his home world, uh, the death of his wife, see how that happens. Well, we always assumed it was his wife. There was a oh, question yeah. mark against it later on, whether Ronan was being a little Ronan? tight with the information or, or not. He was playing the Teok aspect of it all, as in not sharing info with anyone about anything. Mm. Yeah, we're kind of forgetting the story opens up with uh, the team visiting a little village, and it turns out that Ronan had already been there before. Mm-hmm. As a runner. Yes, and things didn't really go very well. No. You can feel sorry for those villagers. They only met him twice, and both times, things turned out badly. Definitely destruction. Well, in fairness, it's their own fault they turned out badly the second time. I mean, they captured them and handed them over. Traitorous people. <laughs> well, one guy did who had the communications device. You can just imagine Ronan walks in the gate, and he's, he's running around his hovel looking for that little communications disc. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put it? Where'd you put what? That disc the Wraith gave me. Oh, I don't know. Do you leave it over there? Then standing in the middle of his room thinking, now, where did I have it last? He gets a tracker put back in him and do some MacGyvering through the old city. Well, ever-growing Wraith soldiers that come down to go after him. I think I said that at the time. I mean, they send sort of one after him and then they send another. Why not just go after him with overwhelming odds from the beginning? In that case, they might as well just shoot him, aren't you? It is a hunt. They have a draw or something, you know. The <laughs> employee of the month gets the first go at him. Surely the opposite <laughs> would apply. It's a reward, isn't it, to hunt the most dangerous animal. Mm. And the first one that goes is going to be hunting him while he's at his prime. Yeah. Before he gets wounded or in it or tired or anything else. Yeah, it is really a very action-orientated episode. Yeah. Very fast-paced, lots of fun. We even get him walking away from an explosion. You've got to have at least one episode a season. Sadida, then. It got five votes. Contraya! Progeny, air date, 11th August. 2006, directed by Andy Makita, written by Robert C. Cooper and Carl Binder. Uh, we're in a team visit what they think is an ancient civilization, only to discover that we have replicators in Pegasus too. All the pieces, bits and pieces. Mm. The technology is basically the same, but they're certainly not the same breed of a replicator. No, evolution seems to go to the same spot with them. Or at least technology does, you know, it's, at some point... Some mad scientist was going to invent this sort of technology and it's going to get out of hand. And I have to say, kudos to Oberon. Wonderfully played. Yep. Oh, David Ogden's day is fantastic. Just the right air of menace without being sort of over-the-top scenery chewing. Well, that's it. We were introduced to Niamh, played by John Callahan. Friendly, accommodating, Mm -hmm. 
and then we meet Oberon, who just sits there glaring at you. You know, no matter what you say, he's not going to be happy. Indeed not. Everything seems to be going well. They've got ZPMs, perhaps they'll share. They get to the gate and, oh, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're going to be held guest for a while. Hmm. Where's the city located? Where's your homeworld? And they've got a unique method of interrogation. Yeah. Yes. The old hand in the head. You're going to get probed and you're going to like it. Ah, yes, probed. A perfect reason to say Atlantis destroyed. Yes, a lot of the trailers featured Atlantis blowing up, mm. thinking, what? I remember when uh, Blake 7 was airing the first time around and they showed the Liberator getting destroyed. It freaked me out. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Little Michael, visibly upset. <laughs> <laughs> now you look back and you think, the bastards. <laughs> well, since we're on Blake 7, you have to admire the guy, the only guy who doesn't visibly die in the entire show. What, Mr. Mr. Avon? And a man who makes absolutely no compromises about his agenda. <laughs> he's out for himself. He doesn't give a shit about anyone else. And he's very, very clear about it. It is quite refreshing. There aren't layers to Avon, you know. It's just like, I'm looking after number one. <laughs> the historians were a nice addition to Atlantis, especially considering that this was another ancient experiment that went a little bit haywire. The experiment may have gone slightly awry. Hmm. Or went awry because they thought they'd destroyed them all. Pesky little buggers survived. Well, that's it. They gave them intelligence, and then at a certain point, the little replicators, or whatever you want to call them, weren't very happy about it. No. We get a nice little flashback on Neam's side. Ancient warships blowing them up, wiping out the planet. Yeah, it always seemed a strange way. Surely you want to destroy the planet whole, or as Sam did, destroy the sun to destroy the planet. Yeah. Piecemeal approach pretty much guarantees there's going to be some left alive. Yes, instead of just flying around throwing drones at them. But not to worry. That's always a good idea. Create a super intelligent super weapon. And of course, there's no way this could possibly go wrong. Ship we have available that can destroy something else is a sister to Atlantis. Felt sorry for Naeem, though. Left in space to drift. Yeah, he betrayed his own people, then, oh, the humans betrayed him. Yep. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, like, let's face it, they lifted that straight from Sam's playbook. Yeah. It worked last time. Yeah. It worked last time. Let's do it again. <laughs> Someone the naive fools. <laughs> you know, in all honesty, in terms of their dealings with other races and certainly non-organic races, humans are basically dicks. It's something I hope we grow out of mm. as a species. No, we're probably self-annihilate. It seems likely. Right. Surprisingly enough, Progeny did not get any votes. Oh. Would have been my number two. So we haven't come across the one you did vote for yet, then? No, not yet. Episode 6, The Real World, directed by Paul Ziller, written by Carl Binder, aired August 18th, 2006. An episode, and I know I said this is the time, harkens back to a Buffy episode where Dr. Weir wakes up in a sanitarium and she's like, wait, none of this ever happened. She never went to Atlantis. She doesn't know about the Stargate program. Your imagination. Really, is it? I mean, Farscape have done it, Buffy have done it. I'm sure there's other shows have done it that Mike can probably... Star Trek have. Yeah. Jack's back. Mm. For Jack alone, this was my number two. Well, I like these Turn It On Their Head episodes. I mean, my one of my favourite Babylon 5 episodes is A View From The Gallery. Oh, yeah. I like the ones which take the normal universe and twist it. I actually rotated my left hand when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Counterclockwise, if you're interested. This is also a bit of a highlight because we got Alan Rook playing Dr. Adam Fletcher. 
Alan Rook and of course Richard Kind both starred on Spin City and Alan Rook Ferris Bueller's Day Off Cameron hmm. I like the actor interesting episode maybe well certainly not the highlight of the season but it was an interesting character piece you know looking at how Elizabeth dealt with what she believed coming back to the real world meeting up with her mother again <laughs> we get not a lot to say about it really we get Nahum back for a little bit the uh, the shadowy figure behind the windows and the uh, curtains mm. you reminded me actually of Trek episode my favourite Trek example of this was the DS9 one Cisco in the insane asylum oh right Miles also had an episode where he was made to believe he'd spent 20 years in prison yeah gaga so no, I mean I enjoyed it a lot but there's not a lot you can say about it it's actually a fairly it's simple, but I thought it was quite compelling. Yeah. It's one of the episodes, and I think I said it every time, when they gave Tori something to do, yeah. she did it well. Especially yeah. when they took her out of the red T-shirt. Mm. Yeah, an episode where she actually wore some other clothes. Some of her own clothes, did you say at the time? The sparkly shirt. Like I say, good episode. We got Richard Dean Anderson back. Tori got to actually act, <laughs> not just stand there <laughs> saying her two lines of dialogue. Yeah. And of course, everything works out well in the end because John does something ridiculously silly. Mm. It underlines the trust he has in him. Mm. Indeed. Saved by stepping through the gate. Yep. And the real world. It got two votes. Come oh. Right. Common Ground. First third, August 25th. Written by Ken Cooper and directed by William Waring. Well, we got Robert Davy, Christopher Heidel, yep. Ryan Robbins. Lots of quality guest stars. Did we have Brad on for this, or was it just me and you? I recall recording it. I recall having fun recording it. And for once, you know, happy that I hadn't actually watched it and I was doing it from memory because it was fun to look at it. I'd say very tight episode. I mean, well edited. Now, I don't think there was a spare minute in it. There was no point where you sort of sitting there going, oh, what's going to happen now? Like every scene well put together. Everything in its place, nicely assembled. Gave us a look at the wraith that we'd never even imagined before. The yeah. whole sort of healing thing. Yeah, that's just a talent they have. But mm. through Todd, played by Christopher Heidel, we really got to know them much better than we ever did with Michael. Michael had issues that were caused by being changed into a human, whereas Todd is pure wraith. He's very high up. He is intelligent. He is confident. He is total individual, he's not one of hive drones or anything. And the fact that he can have an intelligent conversation with somebody that he would regard as food, and not only that, he can deal with him. Do a mm. deal, honour that deal, and thankfully, a returning character. Yes. Yay. It doesn't hurt, Cole's <laughs> behind all this, and he's got his old worldy uh, TV camera. <laughs> he's doing the torture, pay-per-view torture. Well, they're I... still trying to get C4, or are they going after jumpers this time? I can't remember. He toned down his demands. Yeah, I think it was just more revenge. Every time he comes on, he asks for a little bit less. Yeah. Very atmospheric. Some of the fun, you know, the final scenes on the planet at night with the, the Stargate in the distance shimmering over the little lake, they were beautiful. Mm. Only let down by John stepping into the cloaked jumper, which looked like a special effect from the 50s. Also worth noting, we got old Shepard as the life was drained out of him and... In a surprising twist of events, the Wraith can actually give life. Hmm. Take that energy and give it to the same person or another individual. Indeed. Which uh, gives the Wraith worshippers something to hang around for. It does make it more understandable, doesn't it? You know, there is 
something beyond survival at the end of the tunnel for them. Right then, Common Ground got 11 votes. Cool. Okay, episode eight, McCain, Mrs. Miller. Original air date, 8th of September of 2006. <laughs> uh, written by Martin Garrow and directed by Martin Wood. Rodney reunites with his sister. Come up with a dimensional bridge. Good episode, this. Yeah, I mean, uh, two McKays for the price of one. Yes. Yeah, that, that little hint we got back in season one, they've uh, brought the sister in. Yeah, and only because they actually find out that David did have a sister who acted for a living. <laughs> he was originally going to have a brother. It worked out fantastically well. Okay, Mrs. Miller is the episode I voted for. And me, theoretically. By proxy. By proxy, yes. You, you <laughs> had my proxy, Mike. Yeah, I just totally forgot. It's all my fault. <laughs> it were a busy week. Yes, we get Amanda Tapping, guest starring, paying a visit to Jenny Miller's house, then gets in contact with Rodney because Jenny has issues with the military. Mm. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Yeah. Oh, and oh, beautiful. When Rodney pays him a visit and he meets his knees for the first time <laughs> played by um, Madison Bell just looks like yeah, but I've got me a present <laughs> you would bring a present <laughs> she just runs up hugs him oh. <laughs> you poor kid you're going to be so disappointed <laughs> anybody for tofu turkey <laughs> Sorry, that's just wrong on many levels <laughs> and of course eventually they convince uh, Ginny to go with them by well beaming him up to was it the Daedalus yep. in orbit above the earth Normally the NDA comes after, or comes before yeah. you show them the... Intergalactic the spaceship, spaceship, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we meet Rod. Oh, yes. Yeah. In his uh, Terminator pose classic. <laughs> leather jacket. <laughs> it was an interesting look to how David can show basically the same character, but with slightly twisted character traits, and gives you two very different people. And they like this one. Let's send the evil one back. That's it. He he hit it off with everybody except Rodney. Yep. Yet everything was done and dusted. They basically pointed out that they didn't really like him that much. <laughs> of all his positive aspects, the good in moderation. He just, like Rodney, takes his arrogance and confidence to the extreme. So did Rod. All his traits were to the max. And after a while, it doesn't matter. It just gets on your nerves. Mm. Excellently produced episode. The various techniques are used to get David as two characters on screen at the same time. Pretty much flawless. I just like McKay. The only issue with the entire plot was the fact that they were going to destroy Rod's universe. Slight side effect of uh, trying to uh, nick their energy. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, power issue continues. Makes you wonder if that'll ever be solved. Spoiler warning, no. <laughs> well, it's again into it. It's McKay thinking, just because the ancients couldn't figure it out, doesn't mean I can't. That does other unused solar systems I could try and blow up. <laughs> It did seem a bit strange building that machine on Atlantis. Yeah. And all this time and effort that went into actually building it, surely there's something on Atlantis that or build. They built them in the first place. It wasn't a matter of someone sitting there for soldering iron and put some parts together to build one. There has to be something. I think we've got to accept that there are some things a replicator cannot replicate. They do that on Star Trek. There's some exotic elements that cannot be replicated. Yep. Presumably including the power source for the replicator. Yeah, specific power sources, yes. Yeah, well, you can't make what you don't know. Yeah. Suppose, again, if we didn't have these little power episodes, if we had a uh, ZPM factory, we wouldn't have many issues. Well, no, they'd be invincible, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah you don't have dramatic tension then. Either way, about the ZPM, Kate Hewlett, absolutely fantastic as Jeannie Miller. Yep. 
I am so glad we got to hear again. They work well off each other. Yep. Right. This episode was also nominated for Best Writing in the Gemini Awards. It didn't win, but if you count Alan's postal vote, <laughs> it got nine votes. <laughs> so not quite getting there. Common Ground did better. The Babylon Project was our last Best Hope for Scott, a self-contained podcast one hour long located on the Internet. A place of fun and discussion for Babylon 5 fans everywhere. A shining beacon in cyberspace, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the 20th anniversary of Babylon 5, the year the great war to free Bab 5 came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Babylon podcasts. The year is 2014. The name of the place is the Babylon Project Podcast. Hi, this is Raul from the Babylon Project Podcast. Jim and I would like to invite you to join us as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of one of the most important sci-fi series of all time, Babylon 5. We'll be making our way through all five seasons with commentary and thoughts and a little bit of fun. Find us at babylonprojectpodcast.wordpress.com or you can find us on iTunes. Look forward to hearing from you. And remember, no boom today, boom tomorrow. There's always a boom tomorrow. Okay, the next one is Phantom. Ah, yes. Original air date, September 15th. Directed by Martin Wood. Written by Carl Binder. He did a lot of episodes this season. We have uh, Shades of Early Enterprise. The whole hallucinogenic device. And I have to say, jumping to the end, Rodney's sort of utter indignation at John having shot him is just entertaining. (laughs) You shot me. You're still here. Yeah. In fairness to John, if he'd actually meant Rodney harm, he would have done him more serious harm than just the flesh wound. You think a soldier of John Silver's skill would have been able to kill Rodney if he wanted to? I think the highlight of this episode, the armourers and the pyrotechnic guys, they went to town. It was an excellent example of their craft. Yep. Even though the big set-piece explosion didn't really go quite according to plan when it didn't blow up the first time around. <laughs> and the guy ran up and realised that one of the wires had burnt through. So, he, well, this thing is still alive. Put them back together again. Don't, We're good to go. Don't poke it with us. Uh, big, big lorry full of fuel. That's going to make a really good explosion. Some friends of mine that were extras on Colour of Magic in the scene where they blow up the uh, drum in like Morpok, they're thinking, oh, we're fairly safe. You know, we're beside the camera. It'll be okay standing beside the camera. And then they glanced and they realized that the crew were another 200 feet back and the camera had armor glass in front of it. <laughs> Boom. You can always get extras. Cameras are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> realized that they might have been you know, brushing bits of burning polystyrene out of the beard. We also get the good doctor trying to revive a corpse. <laughs> well, that's dedication to your craft, that is. Yes. We get a little bit more backstory of John too if he's Afghanistan mishaps. We get, uh, I think Bam Bam's one of the guards in that. Yeah. You look at the episode, now I look at it and think, well, it, it was okay, it was interesting. I don't think it was brilliant, but a lot of work went into it. Mm. You know, multiple locations, a lot of practical effects, some CGI as well, that's probably said. A character piece. Yeah. With action. Mm. Yeah, coming up. It probably deserves a m- more credit than it's going to get. 
Yeah, and being the Epto before the mid-season two-parter, you'd think it'd be a little bottle Epto or something, but they've, as you said, the stunts and pyrotechnics team went to work on it. Also shades of, to some extent, that SG-1 episode where they were caught in the virtual reality and they were forced to repeatedly relive horrible events from the past. The Gamekeeper. I was thinking it's not the game because that was a subsequent episode, but it's something similar and I couldn't get the title in my head. Phantom's got two votes. Oh. For some episodes, I didn't get any. Yeah. <laughs> Come try ya! Okay, episode 10 and episode 11. Mid-season two-parter combined into one episode, so people didn't have to vote just for one. Mm. Episode 10 aired September the 22nd. Episode 11 aired November the 20th. Both written by Martin Garrow and directed by Brad Turner. Pretty spectacular two-parter. Yeah. It was. Expensive. Yep. Robert Picardo, Richard Dean Anderson. Back in more than just a guest role. He was back doing stuff. He got to swim. Yes. <laughs> he got to prove that is it, that's his real hair. Mm. <laughs> nice set design with the underwater jumper bay. It just goes to prove you do a good deed and you get stabbed in the back. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> We've rescued your city. Okay, thanks. Bugger off. Mm. Yes. We'll let two of you stay. Which may yeah. explain why they lost the war with that sort of arrogance. You're right. Until they actually had to submerge the city because they realised they were not leaving that planet. They probably thought they could win. Mm. Rodney's meddling with the replicator code has destroyed what little ancients were left. Oh, yeah. That was priceless. The ancients return, they kick out the humans, the replicators come, oh, we're not worried about them. Yeah, don't worry, they can't hurt us. In their base programming, they cannot attack us. Bang, boom, they blew up our jumper. Oh my God, they're going to kill us. <laughs> panic, panic. I did not see that coming. <laughs> what happened, Rodney? Uh, I don't know. What are you asking me for? Rodney. <laughs> so much for vaunted ancient wisdom. And it's up to John and not so much some strapping young marines to come and save the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was an unauthorised rescue mission. Mm, and we get some great stuff there. Before that, the scene with Elizabeth and Dr. Lee talking about oh, World of Warcraft. Warcraft. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> it's pandering to the cliché. I know gamers and any interest from a female of the species into, <laughs> into, into their little hobby, you know, but, oh, dear me. Great little bit and good to see Bill back. Oh, yes, Bill Dale. And of course it gives us, with the replicators in control, it gives us a perfect reason to destroy the city, or at least blow up the gate room anyway. Yeah, what's your plan? We're going to blow up the gate room? Yep. <laughs> seems a bit severe. Yeah, it does. But then we wait for them to rebuild it. And then we kill them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the replicators themselves, one of the replicators says, you know, shouldn't we catch them first before we rebuild it? No, let's rebuild it first. <laughs> Upper management, I don't know, the, the workers on the ground level, they know what's going on. It was a very, very entertaining two-parter. Richard Dean Anderson, as you say, Rob Picardi, they're Robert Picardi. <laughs> Is that the drink? Uh, Picardi and Coke, please. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just thinking, are you in a rum sort of mood? <laughs> the chemistry between them pair was fantastic. Jack, his humour is so dry anyway, but when you've got Woolsey pretty much totally over the edge, I think Jack must have been loving it. An explosion. What was that? It was an explosion. <laughs> And, of course, the big master plan to retake the city. Didn't bother telling Woolsey. Just told him enough so that when he broke under interrogation, he'd yeah. spill the beans for the fake plan. Yeah, because they knew they were going to interrogate him, so... What did he say? How did you cope? Oh, I just you know, laid back and thought of England. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I wonder how Jack would feel knowing that Homer Simpson is no longer going to be voiced by Shira. Mm, that was an interesting news. How are they going to change that? It's a fake voice. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to find somebody that can mimic the fake voice. When all's said and done, Elizabeth takes command of Atlantis again. Woolsey is in full approval, <laughs> mainly because her people kind of saved his life. It always helps when you save the life of an IOA representative. Yep. Okay, The Return, parts one and two. It got eight votes. Hmm. Next, episode 12, Echoes. <laughs> Directed by Will Waring and story by Brad Wright and Carl Binder. And we get Rodney's base whales back. Alien whales. They're doing some... Causing some issues for Atlantis. Half the episode think it's a whale's fault. We've seen ghosts, we've seen hallucinations, holograms, whatever they are. Then it turns out that the ancients, yes, them again, <laughs> experimenting with communicating with the uh, indigenous population of sea life. Mm. A translation program and everything. And it turns out that the whales are actually trying to warn Atlantis. Yes. Get your shields up. We need a shield. We're going to hide under you. <laughs> yeah. This time 5,000 years ago, the sun nearly exploded. Don't you keep a calendar? It's a Mayan one and it's run out. Yeah, thing. Where's the big warning flashing up on the ancient database? Someone had left an, a note to remind him. Someone's got the time to make a whale communicator. Someone's the time to make a uh, a warning device for all possible things that can happen. We get Dr. Kate Heitmeyer back for this episode, played by Claire Rankin, an actual counselor in a sci-fi series that does counselling. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Unusual that. As opposed to just wandering around with cleavage. <laughs> Yes, or sitting on the bridge for no other reason that the captain probably wants a bit of company. Yes. Because she doesn't actually do any counselling when she's sitting on the bridge. Here we get Heitmeyer talking to members of uh, the expedition, doing a job. Some nice side cues in this episode as well. The uh, alien voices and the distortion and everything. That was scientifically, science fictionally weird. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't just a speed up or something else. I'd done, overlaid something onto it. Yeah. And it turns out that on a... Pretty accurate schedule, the, uh, the star of the system actually uh, has a solar flare, which conveniently points directly at the planet. At the point at which Atlantis happens to be directly under a position to receive it. <laughs> or points directly at the planet. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's not like it's a unidirectional solar flare. She put shields up and blocked it. All ship. Yeah, if you look at some of the NAS stuff, you know, you think... Oh, that solar flare doesn't look too big. And then you think, hang on a minute, the sun's... Yeah. yeah that flare must be tens of thousands of miles. It's not the size of a penny on a piece of paper. <laughs> I'm not going to criticise, because I think it was just a fun piece of science fiction, beautiful special effect, a nice idea that this other intelligent life form was trying to communicate with the people in Atlantis, and the fact that the city had before detected them. The only issue comes when <laughs> when the city isn't there. Mm. <laughs> So some way down the line, the descendants of this particular generation of whales are going to get fried. So they need to learn how to fly. Oh no, not again. I believe they can fly. I believe they can touch the sky. (laughs) Rodney calls one Sam, doesn't he? That was his personal friend. If we are to believe Rodney, I think, did you say he tagged him? I think so, Or he'd been keeping an eye on it? I think he'd been watching it, yeah. One look at the whale back in submersion from its underside, so that he can pick it out. And they track it underwater and they find that one. Yeah. And then there's something bigger coming. Then you just see it high up against the puddle chump and you've got a big whale. Yeah. And we also get a nice little bit put their plan into full swing and the beam's hitting the ship and they want to know how long it's going to last. Anybody work that out? Yeah. Well, it could be days. Oh. <laughs> Five minutes the front of the ship's heating up already. Yeah. Not pleasant. 
just got the single vote, so somebody out there liked it. Next is Irresponsible. The return of Lucius and the sad final appearance of Collier. Directed by Martin Wood. Written by Joseph Mosey and Paul Mully. Aired first in presumably Canada, December 4th, 2006. Again, fun episode. Mm. Yeah. Maybe not a great episode, but a fun episode. I didn't actually want him to die, so... Oh, we do get him one more time, but he's not himself. No, quite right. Lucius, no longer using the drug, but somehow he is the hero of this little community. <laughs> Defender of the peace-loving community. Why? Because, oh look, he nicked something from Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And it was activated for him. Rodney's favourite little toy, the uh, personal shield. I still like that first episode of Rodney, the personal shield, where he discovered he couldn't eat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the coffee down the... And I shot him, threw him off the balcony. Brilliant, didn't it? And it is a fantastic piece of technology. Yeah. What it's capable of, you know, it only protects you, but it, it removes all the inertia from any blow as well. It is a fabulous piece of technology whose only weakness is the fact that it can stop too much. Yes. Well, there's the question. How does it get oxygen to one's self? I mean, Cole, you figured it out pretty quickly. You can't shoot me. I can drown you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cole, you're the evil bad guy. His big annoyance is that he thought he would have been the natural successor to Cowan. Unfortunately, he was not to be, because <laughs> pretty much everybody betrayed him. And this was the episode with The Wench. Yes, we had a character called The Wench, <laughs> played by Meredith McGeechee. Yeah. And to be fair, it was a good part. Lots of dialogue. I'm just can't help but thinking you could have given her a name. Mm, something there, decent. <laughs> well, I think the idea is supposed to be indecent, not decent. Well, the indecent bit was watching the two young ladies uh, massage Lucius' feet in close-up. And there's all plans, or all little tricks as he's got going, they come to a bad end. The showdown. Well, just before that, the bomb under the table. Oh, yeah. That's straight out of a Chaplin movie or something. <laughs> Looking at the table and a stick of dynamite fizzing away. Yeah. John jumps through the wind and just on his way out, taps the oar to make sure it's on for Lucius who's strapped to the table. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose with that shield, if you put enough force on it, as we've seen with the one earlier, will plate eventually. Which is odd. You'd think if uh, Collier wants him to talk, why wouldn't you take him up to the Stargate and stick his hand through it and turn it off? Do you reckon it would sever the arm, or would the shield keep it there? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the ancients never thought of that. Now, as you said, we, we get the final Wild West-type showdown. As I believe they said in the commentary, if I recall correctly, the episode was meant taking place on a big, wide-open kind of street in the middle of a town. Humbleweed. Fortunately, they had to change locations, so... Got this rather cramped little setting. But the camera work made it all pretty good. Collier gets a bullet to the chest. And everybody's standing behind John. What if Collier missed? <laughs> he wouldn't have missed. He's that good a shot. The bullet could have gone through, though, and it anybody behind him. Well, and that's in subsequent firings of the gun as he's going down. Yeah. Mm. Don't confuse our science fiction with logic. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Irresponsible did not get any votes. Collier's one song. Third this one to the other, the other one, though. Yeah, I think they learnt from the mistakes. They didn't make Lucia so over the top. He was still larger than life. <laughs> Come try ya! Okay then, episode 14 of season 3, Teo of Rodney. First heard of December the 11th, written by Damien Kindler and directed by Martin Wood. Quite a few guest stars in this. We got introduced to Dr. Coleman, played by Donna Soares, and Dr. Raphael Pizzito, played by Leila Sevastia. 
And, uh, oh yes, what can we say? Hugh the Flying Donuts. Yep. <laughs> Mind reading. Rodney messing about with ancient technology once again. That's never really gone wrong before, has it? No, it hasn't. What happens if I press this button? Let's find out. I'll bet you a week's pay. Footprints on the panel. This is where you're supposed to stand. Yeah, <laughs> stand right here and play around the buttons. Yes, it did not go well. Interesting, though, that the ancients themselves were exploring the idea of artificially accelerating the ascension, just like Anubis did. Cheating. Yes, very much so. You wonder how many factions within the city there were, because half of them seem to be doing things the other half wouldn't approve of. Yeah, all the plans are going across the ancient meeting room table. I'm going to build <laughs> this today. <laughs> yeah, you build that, I'm going to impale you on this table. Mm. Could have been what it's for. You've got a little secret button, and it revolves or something. <laughs> yeah, I think I said it at the time. It reminds me of the uh, Red Dwarf episode where Crichton becomes human with the curry monster. Oh, yeah. The DNA resequencer. Yep. Red Dwarf's coming back. Oh, dear. By all accounts, episode, what, what was it, season 11 or something? Three-part special one was fairly crap. Yeah. But by all accounts, the subsequent one on Dave, someone said, wasn't too bad. But we'll see. We're not talking about Red Dwarf at the moment. Although we are, but we're not. Yeah. <laughs> okay, as, uh, as the hours go by, Rodney gets more and more intelligent as his brain use increases. Creates a mute math. He gets mind reading and the telekinesis. Zelenka, trying desperately to fix everything. Major Lorne returns, been let out of uh, jail after <laughs> losing the Orion. He's worked well. And some very good dialogue and scenes between John and Rodney as he tries to get him to embrace his powers and then uh, combine with a certain level of physical development, he, he would ascend. And he was just about there. His first effort is actually went up. Yeah, <laughs> he's listened to the beep. What was that? <laughs> yeah, really gave David a lot to work with in this episode. This the one you voted for, Brad? No. Hmm. We're running out of episodes. Yes, we are. Ah, uh-huh. that's very good though. Yeah, it was a very good episode. Oh, let's not forget, Zelenka dies. He gets blasted by electricity. Yes. And he gets brought back by Rodney. So uh-huh. Rodney doesn't hold it over him too much. Yeah, very surprising given Rodney's approach to things. Probably because it was Rodney's fault he got put in the first place. True. <laughs> <laughs> he writes a novel, well, not a no- novel, more of a biography of a time on Atlantis. 500 pages. <laughs> oh, dear. He's, uh, he made the most of his, his powers. Unfortunately, after he lost them, it was driving <laughs> him insane looking at the equations and not being able to understand them. What the hell he'd come up with? Yeah. It's okay learning, creating all this advanced technology and this mathematics and physics, he wasn't able to put it into into a format a lower being could understand. Something that always had an issue with. They found incredible technologies but never actually been able to figure them out. Yeah, and that's just it. Like, he's leaving that stuff for others to come in and... The only thing they can be sure of is that the people to come in for generations will know everything McKay does and much more. So eventually those secrets will be unlocked. The uh, human race will develop further. Mm-hmm. Might all be sidestepped by uh, the events happening on the Asgard homeworld. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Tale of Rodney. Ten votes. Mm-hmm. That was close. Maybe I should have voted for it. <laughs> Episode 15, The Game. Original US air date was the 11th of May 2007. Again, that's probably different to other countries. Directed by William Waring and story by Don Whitehead and Holly Henderson. Yep, and the teleplay written by Carl Binder. And we have uh, Shepard McKay discover... Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> a rather familiar-looking game, you know, Bowser of Atlantis. Yeah, they've been happily playing this strategic war game for a few months, and Major Lorne sends back an image of a flag with McKay's face on it. Yeah. <laughs> and the look on their faces, <laughs> they knew right there, right then, they knew what was going on, and they never spoke a word. No. I like to think of the leader of Downside, sort of the diet version of Collier. Yeah, Baden, yeah. who was played by David Dayan Fisher. He was doled out in black leather and studs. <laughs> McKay's leader, she was a blonde woman, uh-huh. Laura Harris. Two communities, Geldar and Helona. Geldar. <laughs> Yeah, what was it, a girl he liked in school or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it seems like his password from 8th grade or something. <laughs> uh, Perron and both big kids. Unfortunately, yeah. there were some serious consequences. Luckily, they were very lucky. Mm. The fact that these people could have wiped themselves out and they only didn't because they were able to kind of emulate a massive war game, showing them the consequences of the actions they were going to take. I'm convinced that as soon as the Atlantis people left, they were at it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's saying the power. Telling people that, oh, you're going to lose half your population, that's not going to stop people from fighting wars. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Needs of the many. The next time somebody nicks their coal, they're going to be at it again. You know what they say, war doesn't decide who is right, war decides who is left. <laughs> I'd like to that's say I come true. up with that myself, but I'm not that rude. And of course, Elizabeth forbade anybody from using this technology. Unfortunately, she left Zelenka and Lorne alone in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Before you know it, they are at each other's throats over baskets. <laughs> was it potatoes? I thought it was turnip. Or some vegetable. Yeah, some sort of... Uh, whatever it was, it wasn't worth the baskets. I think they said turnip because it was a nod to Eastern European sort of, you know, root vegetable crops, socio-political and so on. Yep. Fun episode. Yep. Got three votes. It shouldn't have gone as far as it did, though. No. Come the Flashbulb Podcast, three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at flashbulb.com or search for it on iTunes. <laughs> Episode 16, The Ark, directed by Martin Wood. Story by Scott Nemefro and Ken Cooperus. Teleplay by Ken Cooperus. Aired in Canada on the Movie Network on January 8, 2007. You just wanted me to say that so it's screw up the surname of your man, didn't you? No, it's just to be your turn. <laughs> the Ark. To be fair, Kenneth Welsh, who guest starred as Jammers, fantastic actor. Did the part proud. Overall, the episode, not my favourite at all. To be honest with you, for what they spent on it, which looked like a bloody ton of money, the script just wasn't, it looked fantastic, but if the writing's not there, I mean, Blake 7, look ropey as hell, cardboard set practically, but brilliantly written. Writing will support bad effects, the opposite is not true. Mm. And I'm sorry, Scott, but I can see why you didn't reappear. To be fair, Scott, we're coming up with ideas for stories throughout the season. He wasn't an out-and-out writer. Yeah. You know, he, he worked on the production. And part of this story was his idea. So that's why he got part of the story credit. All right, fair enough. I am judging Scott too harshly. The idea of the story, a race of people, reasonably technologically advanced, the wraith are coming, they're able to capture 
or at least get their hands on a dart and it's beaming technology, you know, it's storage facility. So they come up with the idea to save some of their people by beaming a couple of thousand into this device, hiding them away, and in a few thousand years after their planet fixes itself because they destroyed their own world. Uh-huh. It's an interesting sci-fi concept. The idea is sound, yeah. But it would have made just as much sense if they built a cabin two miles under the crust of their planet and hid under there. Yeah. Have a lot of work to hollow out an asteroid in orbit. Too mm-hmm. ambitious. Spaceships are not strong. They're built to withstand a lot, but by definition, they can't be too heavy or uh-huh. too much mass, or they wouldn't fly. If you're going to land something from orbit and it hits the ground doing, it's going to be ripped to bits. And I hate that on every single sci-fi show and movie where that happens. Spaceships cannot crash land and survive. <laughs> Rant over. Ready <laughs> to John. Seriously, uh, Mike, I mean... Tell us what you're eating. Don't set an event. <laughs> the episode was saved by the Snickers bar. <laughs> That's good to see someone's actually made use of the Rafe tech. As you said, they've, at some point they've covered the beaming technology or got their hands on it and retrofitted it to hold said number of people. Again, yeah, a facility underground, especially if they knew the Rafe were coming. Did the Rafe not see them building the rock? We've seen Wraith send scouts. That's the whole point. They can send scouts through the gates, no problem you know, light years ahead of where they're going. Yeah, you can only think that after a previous culling or something, they've gone, right, we're going to do this, so there won't be another, and dedicated their one or two generations ahead to building instead of progressing society. Yeah, I think it was the episode The Cure, where the civilization had vast libraries that they buried underground, yep. so that each cool generation emerge would have access to the technology again. Yeah. That made a lot of sense. I cannot fault the production value. I cannot fault the acting. It's just that the story had a little too many plot holes. <laughs> and I think other people agreed because it did not get any votes. Mm. Right then, episode 17, Sunday, yeah, dear. 1st of January the 15th, 2007. Written by Martin Garrow, directed by Will Waring. <laughs> Come on, don't say <laughs> Carson gets it. Yeah. Hypocritical oath be damned. A lot of guest stars in this episode as well. Probably they came to take a bite him. But I still say that that bit, after he's taken the thing out of your man, when he's going to put it in the highly explosive thing in here, he's just strolling along. I'd be bloody running. (laughs) I'd be sprinting. He's just casually walking along. And perhaps this is the first time in history where someone's doing the cool walk away from an explosion and it actually kills them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to say, looking at the titles and remembering of the last, obviously, a lot fresher in my mind because it's not three months ago. The quality just went up, seriously, from the arc. There was a definite spike. They built to a peak. Okay, they built to a peak with vengeance and then it dipped a bit. Sunday, Elizabeth gets a date. Oh, yeah. Guest star, Matthew Del Negro. Mike Branton, and as you pointed out, he was not in her direct chain of command. And, well, to be fair, Elizabeth, there's only so many guys on this city, and he's a reasonably good catch. Mm. Look, she liked him, she changed her shirt. (laughs) Even if he is exhibiting a Robin Atkin Downs as Byron kind of vibe. You remember Byron? The poet? No, possibly the most hated character in Babylon 5. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. The romance cover model. He had a Fabio as a team. Yeah. He had a bit of a Byron-esque vibe going on. He was smooth. Yeah. He would have made a good current character. Yep. But Elizabeth is her own worst enemy. 
Yeah, didn't he get blown up? No, he didn't. He's not dead. No, but we'd never see him again, so... We don't see him again because he got blown up. No, she just kind of threw the ice water on the romance, you know. Even though she had probably the best day she's had on that city. Yeah. I'm not having any of this. I don't want to be happy. I may not have said it at the time, but I feel obligated to say it now. Gives a whole new meaning to the term explosive diarrhea. I'm so glad you didn't say that. <laughs> you're going to leave that in. Please tell me you're going to leave that in. I'll leave that in. Okay, guest stars for this episode. They are worth a mention because there was a lot of them and they all had decent roles as well. Matthew Del Negro playing Mike Branton. Katie Brown returned, played by Brenda James. We saw Dr. Cole and Dr. Harriet Houston. Caroline Cave and Laura Gilchrist, respectively. Daniel Bacon made his appearance on Stargate Atlantis as Dr. James Watson. He was the gate tech from a few episodes of Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. Got to see Dr. Byro again, Lindsay Collins. Uh, that was a kind of a blast from the past. They loaded the episode, mainly because it was an important character piece. He had poor Carson. He only wanted to go fishing. Yeah. And he was let down by... But everyone. And he would be alive today. If he'd gone fish, I mean, talk about seriously loading the survivor guilt on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Few of them would really feel guilty about it. Yeah, pretty much insert knife, twist repeatedly. <laughs> it was an interesting storytelling. Why they done it too, like, we had about five or six different versions of what had happened with the Pomeranian explosion. Vignettes, as it were. I just like that one. I like to use it when I'm possible. You don't often get a chance to use words like vignettes in conversation. It was just a game that, as I said in the commentary, one of the extras in the funeral scene actually let the cat out of the bag who was dead uh, before the episode aired. Uh, Oops. Yeah, I doubt they ever got Walker's an extra again. <laughs> you know, blacklisted. Overall, though, Sunday was uh, it was a good episode. Wonderfully constructed, filmed and edited. I'm still not totally sold on the final scene between Beckett and Rodney. Mm. It's a nice idea that we know Rodney occasionally sees things, when he's under stress. Yeah. But Sam in a white t-shirt, wet. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's worrying. The outside light, which is always on, in the block out my small window, just went out. That block has lost power. <laughs> if I disappear suddenly... Fair enough. It's not just that it's gone 11 and I've decided to hang up. <laughs> okay. I'm just warning you. Okay, let's see. Sunday, we got seven votes. Surprised that didn't win, really. Yeah. I mean, it's not what I voted for myself, but I can see it being popular. Maybe because it was cheated because of what happens later on. We don't know what you mean. Oh, no. No, (laughs) I really don't. Episode 18, Submergent. Written by Ken Kubris, directed by Bretton Spencer. I'll let Mike, what's the date? What have you got there? January the 22nd. Oh yeah, Submersion. We get the Wraith Queen back, or a Wraith Queen, played by Andy Frizzle. Uh, so the Wraith Queen. Uh, she always plays the Wraith Queen, that is true, but there are many queens. Apart from Babylon 5, we are all Andy Frizzle. And the deep sea drilling platform has been discovered. Convenient, that. Almost an episode before they really need one. Yeah, two episodes. It's interesting that the ancients were, or the Atlanteans, were exploring that means of energy generation. We know... Other cultures have used it, and it, it can provide a lot of energy over a long period of time. It makes you wonder, did ancients wonder about their capability of making ZPMs? Did they realise the possible dangers with geothermal energy like the other planet that kind of blew up a bit? That was an ancient base. They built that 
to run on geothermal power. So and it was used incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had it running, for, you know, the shield running at full power for a year. That would run <laughs> have a lot of power. <laughs> That's a lot of lava being cooled. It upset the local balance. It makes you wonder if there was a issue where where the ZPMs was their ability that they wouldn't be able to make anymore. Or... It's not that. I think it might be that they probably took time to make, um, given that they were mostly devoted to the war effort. Geothermal might have been seen as a way of powering something. A ZPM could be used in a warship. Geothermal could be handier for powering bases and things that didn't generally move a lot. Either this complex was maybe a test base when they first introduced the technology, or after they submerged the city, they were looking to use that to power the city, because maybe a few components of the ZPMs just were no, were no longer accessible because they were off-world. Yeah, true. The being a resource issue. It's a pity it just wasn't mentioned maybe four or five episodes earlier, <laughs> just to kind of trickle the idea that there's this complex under the ocean. Well, yeah, the wild echoes. When they'll scan yeah. the fourth at the whales, they could have said, we've picked up yeah, something. Yeah, there's something else down there. Yeah. Of course, the whole team have to go and discover it when they don't even know the exact location. No idea how long this trip is going to take, so let's all go. Let's not send Dan a minion, you know, <laughs> and he'll report back when he's found it. Yeah. And we get the whole, are we there yet? <laughs> that poor scientist suddenly learns that he's the wrong man. Hmm. <laughs> Grayson. <laughs> yeah. Sure, that's your name. Grayson. <laughs> he wanted to be Dick Grayson, his ward. <laughs> Funnily enough, there was another guy with a similar name, brilliant scientist. I'm surprised he was not working here. <laughs> and then, of course, the, oh, yeah, poor Soddy dies. Yes. And so does his other mate. He dies as well. And they were being stupid. Yep. They were following wet footprints. <laughs> because an underground station like that needs a wet dock. Of course, it was worth it to see Taylor Breed the crap out of Ronan. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't sure she had it in her, but... He obviously was sure she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about being caught off guard. Go Taylor, female empowerment. Yeah, I'm putting the boot in afterwards. <laughs> For good measure. That's the way you fight. <laughs> you're not getting up any time soon. Well, that's it. I mean, frankly, especially if you're facing greater odds, take someone down quickly, make sure they stay down. Yeah. Um, while the companions are sort of reacting in shock, get the bloody hell over there quickly. <laughs> Retreat, be damned. Like it. And this was also the episode where we saw the uh, the exosuits, which looked a bit sci-fi, but were real-world diving suits mm. designed by Phil Newton, who actually has his own company, and now they look seriously high-tech. We're talking Marianas-level functionality? Maybe not that far. <laughs> not that deep, no. <laughs> but those suits were used to film The Abyss. Ah, which was also referenced in this episode, as you would expect. Yes. Why wouldn't you? I caught a sort of alien-esque vibe of it. Not obviously as strong as the next episode, where the references to alien went even subtle. Well, Stargate's always done that. That's one of the reasons I like the show. It's exactly what normal people would do. Mm. In 50 years' time, if we go to the moon and we find a spaceship, they'll probably say, this is just like 2001. You see that classic? <laughs> yeah, they would do. You'd reference your pop culture. Yeah, Star Trek: The Next Generation and the like only get away with it because said that there's no such thing as television in their day. Yeah, mm. yeah, but it's odd they use Taylor to channel information to the Queen that Rodney's got the ship's engines working again. Been there for ten thousand years and <laughs> it works. Couldn't do it. I was pushing the wrong button. Yeah, she does seem remarkably naive. Mm. 
That's what happens when you eat the ship's engineer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jamail left him for maybe the last half dozen. <laughs> the guy that knows how the ship works. And we've seen... Truth be told, though, she said it herself. She'd been down there nearly 10,000 years, maybe a bit less, depending upon mm. how quickly City fell. But she was waking up, she was feeding, and eventually she would have gone stare crazy. Yeah, we've seen other races that have been suspended and woken that many times. They haven't been all there upstairs. Like I said, my former job, do not screw with your domain admin because they have the power seriously mess your life up. <laughs> Wise words. Been there. Okay, submersion. No votes. Come hmm. try ya! Episode 19, Vengeance. Directed by Andy Makita, written by Carl Binder. Aired in Canada on January 29th, 2007. Or as I call it, the episode of the surprisingly accurate Wraith Beam. Where John is picking people up in the dart. At the end, and happens to just perfectly control it and pick up only the people he needs and none of the monster bad guys. After he's only flown it once before. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if the the computer help. I just consider it close-up of Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. Pervy director. Andy Makita. Shame on you. Good lad. I wonder, now that I'm thinking about it, would you say that was a nod to Children of the Gods? You know the scene, I mean. Yeah, there was lots of similarities there. Except for the fact that Taylor had clothes on. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you got the special edition. No, Taylor always had clothes on. Yeah, that's a good point. What's his special edition? (laughs) Oh, no, sorry. Get that quiet. That wasn't wasn't the special edition. (laughs) That was the standard DVD release that I got. I was watching it, and I thought, hang on. That weren't the version that Sky showed. I had the US Region 1 box set, so I, I yeah. got it in full glory. I thought, yes. Yeah, because you said, what? <laughs> you expect the camera to pan either, you know, the camera angle which either stopped at the upper thigh or above the small of the back. That was ten seasons ago, so let's back on to Vengeance. A nice alien homage. Oh, very much so. Very, very atmospheric episode. Yeah. Connor as Michael, wonderfully nasty. So casual in the idea of how many people he slaughtered for his ultimate warriors, which proven to be very susceptible to P90 fire and Ronan's gun. So basically no different to any other bipedal life form. No, they need a shelf. Yeah. (laughs) Michael, you've got to do some extra work. And of course, he does. He takes another look at the approach and comes back bigger and badder. So basically, the the report card for Michael on this is, see, it needs improvement. (laughs) (laughs) I did not like this one. No, the poor Tyrannans. We rehoused them, we took their warship, then we blew it up and probably didn't tell them. Only to have Michael learn their location from the data bus before he left last time. <laughs> when surely he would have been alone, so how village couldn't have sharpened their pitchforks and got him. Maybe he ate a few of them. Yeah, well, I'll have to rewatch it again. You didn't like it, why bother? Yeah, I just... And there was some fantastic aesthetics works, though, from... Todd Masters and Masters Effects. The two guys who worked on the suit, Sam Polin and Brian Ho. One was the actual one of the designers of the suit. He actually acted on screen because it fit him. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one was a stuntman, so he did all the action sequences. Very heavy. One of them fainted in the suit. Sorry, just a brief aside. I see production notes on Richard Kind that he was in the original Stargate movie. Yes, it was. Mm. He was an Egyptologist when he trying to translate the language. Yeah, and all that work they'd done on the suits, and we never really seen them clearly from memory. It's all 
you're not supposed to. Yeah, I think when you looked at the long shot, you realise ultimately it's a guy in a rubber suit. But close up, fast action, fast cutting, lots of lighting effects, they look fantastic. And that hand that Ronan held, that looked creepy as hell. Shame we weren't twitching. Yeah. The twitching would have been nice. Crawling along the floor yeah. when he dropped it. <laughs> I enjoyed the episode, though. I just like that type of story. So it suited me down to the ground. I enjoyed the commentary. I think I might be watching Aliens tonight. <laughs> See how to do it better. I think it will be tomorrow in 40 minutes. So. Yeah, unlike Alan, I'm allowed to watch a movie nice and loud at the time. Enough. Vengeance. Didn't get any votes. Oh. I'm assuming, Brad, you voted for this next one since you haven't indicated that you voted for anything else. <laughs> Stunning process of elimination. If, if you say, I didn't vote for this one as well, <laughs> there's going to be trouble. Okay then, season three finale, episode 20, First Strike. First aired February the 5th, 2007. Written by Martin Garrow, directed by Martin Wood. And we get the introduction of Michael Beach playing Colonel Abram Ellis, who, as he said, only took the role because his mother liked Stargate. <laughs> oh yes, Jewel State. Yeah. Nearly forgot. She returns to Atlantis, but in a different role as Dr. Jennifer Keller. Yeah, a very cute one. Yes, unless you go in for the more rugged look <laughs> and temperamental approach of the young Raithling. Well, yeah, the only more rugged look I like Jill State in is in Firefly, having watched two episodes of it last night. Well, that's basically a little bit of grease made over it. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> <laughs> On first strike, the IOA, the SGC, the US Air Force, the President have all decided that because the Zorans are building ships, they obviously must be going to attack Earth. So, nuke them. <laughs> let's poke them with us. Yeah, let's nuke them from the orbit, because it's the only way to be sure. Yep. <laughs> Six Mark Nine Naquida enhanced warhead. You think, you think, in fairness, they could have just drove through the and blown the bloody planet up, you know? If there's ever a time for the term disproportional response, this is it. It never even occurred to him just to give him a call and say, what are you doing? Are we not friends? Or are you going to attack Earth? Are you going to attack the Raptor race? Well, if they weren't, they certainly are now. Yeah. <laughs> they knew. They knew it was not going to destroy the Sauron. One of the great things about that huge one-minute-long CGI special effect, I'm not going to say it was brilliant. Yeah. It wasn't film quality. It was excellent TV quality, but it wasn't film quality. But one thing about it, when you saw the missile enter the atmosphere, you could see the city on another continent, and it was continent-wide. Mm. and that survived. So it's like a cheesy strike on Russia. They are not going to like it, <laughs> no matter what they were doing. It's going to get a response. And the attention is definitely going to come back onto you. Yeah, and the fact that it was such a targeted response speaks volumes for the Sorens, and it was brilliant technology, wasn't it? Mm. Using a gate to fire an energy beam. I love that. I love that. Something simple design like that. A mm. gate, a hyper, small hyperspace generator and a power source yeah. to start the gate. Something's appeared in orbit minutes after we've just nuked another planet. Mm. Ooh, it's gonna, let's, let's investigate this. It. And they go, hmm, wonder what that is. It's a Stargate. Hmm, let's wait to see if it... Oh, it's activating. Mm. What should we do? Let's wait and see. Let's try to click straight away a Stargate in orbit. Well, that puts our gate out of action. <laughs> straight away, but no, I love this episode. Some great visuals. Yes, it's not movie quality. Explosions. Sure, there's some stock footage from Terminator that could be used. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to knock it, because I imagine it, it costs an awful lot of money. Yeah, just that sequence of them launching the Horizon too, dropping out of the bottom of the ship, following the missiles all the way down. Boom. Zelenka and Rodney were standing on the bay doors. 
Mm. Looking up, I think, hang on a minute, is there a safety bolt on these? Don't press that button, whatever you do. What we really don't want is something from the end of Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, that would have been a twist. Well, that's the last time we see Zelenka <laughs> from Armageddon, you know. No nukes, no nukes. Get off the nuclear weapon. <laughs> Fame hits the city, and that's good. We get submerged again. Unfortunately, that doesn't quite give them the extra time they thought yeah, it would. They thought they'd get 10 days, and they got 10 hours, didn't they? Or nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> It was nice to see another ship, though. I think, you know, whatever shipyard is knocking them out. Point the RA, who, where you can destroy one of these ships with two hits, you really need to produce a bit to a week. <laughs> Without letting anybody know. Yeah. And you probably couldn't even have union workers, because they'd blab. Yep. We're going to tell everyone if you don't pay a payer. Yeah. Well, the Teamsters refuse. Because <laughs> you've cut five minutes off the break time. We're at war. Doesn't matter. <laughs> My name is Mike Break. <laughs> ah, yes, the Apollo... It must be when this episode came out. I signed onto the Gate World forums under the name Apollo under slash mechanic. I'll still get me yearly happy birthday from Gate World. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what password is, so <laughs> long, for, long since forgotten that. No, but you, if you have the email address, you can send a reset. New Colonel in the cockpit is a no-nonsense sort of person, which is good. We need someone that actually seems like they're in the military. Yeah, you're a civilian. Uh, you don't order me about, I've been given my orders. Yeah, nothing's going to come from you. <laughs> he pretty much slices John away from Elizabeth straight away. Mm. But to be fair to him, he, he's, he's honest. You know, don't don't be polite. I know you don't like me. I don't like you, but we're going to work together. Meanwhile, I'm going home. You deal with this replicator weapon. <laughs> if you survive. <laughs> I'm in a ship. I can fly away. <laughs> Basically, I've got you in serious trouble, but it's okay. So I'm going to bugger off now. Yes, <laughs> I've done my duty. And this is, of course, where the geothermal power plant comes into. We're going to destroy it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to provide all the power we need right up to the point we rent off the ocean floor. Yeah. <laughs> Rip it to shreds as we launch the city. You think the cable would break first? I assume they had explosive bolts to sever it. Otherwise, yeah. it'd kind of give yeah. a little jerk to the city, which no end of damage. Yes. But it was majestic seeing mm. when it takes off in rising, when we saw it leave the Earth, when the Asauran version of Atlantis took off. It's such a beautiful design. Mm-hmm. The CG's not quite there, as we'll see next season. Uh, apart from the bit where they blew up the terror and half killed Elizabeth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oops. Man cops a big shard in his shoulder. <laughs> Again, anybody who's got the DVD or Blu-ray, check out the behind-the-scenes for that stunt. Fantastic viewing. We get the half a dozen 302s. You have to allow a lot for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can just imagine one puts a bit too much thrust on and start rotating. Yeah, get a spin happening. <laughs> they haven't got enough yeah. fuel to stop the spin. Going round and round. And it's just good that that asteroid wasn't made of Naquita or something explosive. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an extinction level event right there. Because I suppose they wouldn't be able to be too picky about it. Whichever one's closest and they think they can move. Yeah, and it's not as if a Ferrari 2 has got a scanner can scan the asteroid composition. Yeah. What's it made out of? I think it's something like sandstone. Hmm, may not last very long then. We might need to find some iron. But up to a point, it worked out rather well. Mm. Up to the point where Elizabeth got dreaded. She <laughs> didn't come up fast enough. And now Atlantis is floating in intergalactic space with no idea where they are. No means of direct communication. Apollo doesn't know where they are. Coordinates to get the gate think. <laughs> They're kind of rude. What will happen? Tune in next season. A good finale. Not the best finale. We've seen better. A good finale. And First Strike got three votes. Okay then, folks. That was 
the wrap-up show for the 20 episodes of Season 3. A little bit of extra information, the DVD releases for Season 3. Uh, it came out on Region 1, September the 18th, 2007. On Region 2, January the 14th, 2008. And Region 4, September the 26th, 2007. Our poll, we got 60 votes. Common Ground got 18%. Theo Rodney got 16%. And McKay and Mrs Miller and the Return Parts 1 and 2 were joint third with 13%. Although technically, with Alan's single vote, McKay and Mrs Miller came third. So, that's it, guys. Interesting. Hmm. Good season overall, I thought. Yes, started strong. A lot of good episodes. It just builds. A good portion of the uh, fans, the episodes where they tried to be funny didn't hit the mark. The two Lucius Laven episodes referring to. Yep. Oh, something different. They've tried it. Yeah. Okay then, folks. Next week, we will be doing the Stargate SG1 Season 10 wrap-up show. At the time you hear this, the poll will have been released and closed. I hope you voted. Alan? <laughs> Go and vote, Neil. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brad, for joining us. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Sorry you got up yesterday to record with us. And... Yeah, well, last week it was an hour early, and this week it was a day early, so next... <laughs> I'll be a week early next time. Okay, then we'll see you yesterday. Okay, then. I've been Mike. I've been Alan. And I've been Brad. Take care, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Gatecast, hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk. Stargate forever.